Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back, and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what? What are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Well, it's a, it's a funny old weekend for racing because... It's the Group 1 Telegraph, and this is the first time we'll be back at Trentham since, well, only what you could describe as a fully-fledged debacle when Captain Cook's Stakes Day were abandoned because the track wasn't safe to race on after a little bit of drizzle came down on a very, very firm track that hadn't been properly watered during the or irrigated during the week. So it's the first time we'll be back at Trentham. Uh, New Zealand Thoroughbred Racing... Kempe, following on from that, had sent out a bunch of actions that they wanted to implement, and a lot of them were by the end of March 2022, or the end of January 2022, or the end of February 2022. So no doubt they would have been beavering away very busy over summer, summer an extremely busy period for racing, and making sure that they are on track to figure out and to implement these actions that the board and Uh, the management at New Zealand Thoroughbred Racing have deemed fit to action. So, with that in mind, and because you're here and... Oh, do you want to intro him? Who, the Philadelphia lawyer? Bruce Robert Sherrick. Chief Operating Officer of New Zealand Thoroughbred Racing. Please have some respect. Uh, Bruce (laughs) is on the line. Morning to you, Bruce. Good morning, Louis. And your your sidekick. (laughs) Kempe's been fizzing for this one, Bruce. Well, I can well imagine, mate. He's about as use- he's about as useful as an ashtray on a motorbike, that fella. So, yeah, he's coming deep off a ballot list. That's all I can say. Oh, he's got two out already. I like that. You're you've jumped out of the gates. Well, looking at your um, your actions, Bruce, you're you're a bit of a you know guy that likes to get the actions done. Just t- talk us through the policy that you've put in place um, after that Wellington um, debacle down there. Yeah, I think it's important to to go back and reflect on without going into detail and relitigating what happened. I mean, the fact of the matter is that there were a number of areas that uh, weren't up to scratch. And I think the overarching thing for racing in general is we're a high-performance sport and we need to be better in a lot of areas. What clearly happened at Trentham was uh, a number of failures, but a primary failure around, as you introed, Louis, around the irrigation levels and the, and the understanding of the, the turf um, below the top 20, 30 mil. And I've got to say, I, might, I may sound like I know what I'm talking about, but it's been a huge uh, crash course in understanding what was going on. Um, 
But we are where we are, and after the 4th of December, we commissioned a number of uh, reports from the affected parties, the RIB race, ourselves, and we had the New Zealand Turf Institute provide us an independent view. So, look, we then convened uh, a meeting with stakeholders, um, which were jockeys, uh, trainers, RIB, club CEs, and ourselves to see if we could strip back and have a look at the processes that are in place and whether or not they're, they're up to scratch. And, you know, I've got to admit, they're not. And that's what we're looking to fix. And fundamentally, it's a... Yep, go. I was going to say, a, a big part of the review, Bull, is is you're looking for a, a accountability. Is that, is that a fair comment? Yeah, well, accountability, yes. But we're looking to improve. I mean, at the end of the day, as I say, I think the thing that we need to understand, we're in a high-performance sport. And we've got to be, to use your word, accountable for the outcome of what we do. And we all play a part in that. Clearly, the clubs are producing a track. That's what they're, uh, they're there to do. Clearly, we're there to govern the sport and ensure that the processes around uh, the sport are robust enough to minimise and mitigate this. The likes of the RIB are there to police it and make sure that the checks and balances are in place and, and uh, ensure that the integrity of the sport is at the highest level. So collectively, we come together to produce uh, something decent. And uh, on this occasion, it let us down. Hey, Bruce, you said that this whole process was a, a learning experience for yourself and you've learned a lot probably about that soil underneath the top 20, but also about the whole processes. Do you think the people mm. that were right at the coalface of making these decisions and preparing the turf have also learned a lot, importantly? Yeah, well, I, look, not the track managers. It's their job. And, and, you know, that's why they were in uh, the meeting on the 17th, because they are the people who understand this. That, that is their job. Um, but like anyone, every now and then you, you may drop a ball. And, um, and and on this occasion, that was part of the issue. So, yeah, look, I, I think there's a learning right across, uh, Louis. I think all stakeholders, um, just to get a basic understanding of how it works. I mean, I think we all have to acknowledge that you'll never beat weather. At the end of the day, if it, if it plays against you, um, you know, you're going to have abandoned meetings. It's just a fact of the matter. But the reality is if we follow a process that's robust and we've done all we can to prepare a track, then that's in the lap of the gods. You know. But what we don't want to have happen um, again is something where we could have mitigated that risk. And, and I think the other part, as I say, right at the forefront of everything we do here has to be the welfare of the jockey and the horse. That's, that's paramount in everything we do. Yeah, absolutely. And I think oh, there's not too many people questioning that about New Zealand thoroughbred racing. I know certainly from my conversations and, and what I've seen behind the scenes as well as what uh, we publish and what we talk about, that, that that's not really in, in question for me, Bruce. But what of all the conversations you had with stakeholders, just a bit more of a wider lens around Trentham, did you get any sense or feeling that Trentham is not the most popular place in general? And, and did you get any feedback around that, especially from the some of the um, stables that might have to travel a little bit further about Trentham's use as a premier racetrack? Yeah, look, I mean, of course, when uh, things don't go right, uh, it is a long way away. I mean, and if we go back in history, Trentham was the hub mm. of racing in New Zealand. Yeah. It used to house the Trentham Mewling Sales. Uh, Trentham was just the champagne turf. It was everything about New Zealand racing, you know, and things moved. The fact of the matter is it's still a very good race course, as I understand it. It's a beautiful race course to race on, but you're right, it is a fair distance from the horse population. 
Um, and the reality is that there's a cost involved to get the horses there. Bruce, how do you change? How do you change that? That I guess that historical view, when you've got something that is, you know, this is how it's been done, and it's been done. I had the same conversation yesterday with a bloke about, you know, it's been done for 110, 111 years or whatever. How do you change the view going forward? Yeah, it's not easy. I mean, the reality is, you know, we as human beings. Uh, get set in our ways and we have a thought process and an understanding of the way in which we do everything in life. So you've got to unpackage that in a way. And in my view, my personal view, is it's built around data. You've got to give people sound reason as to why there needs to be a change in the way you approach things. So, you know, we, we have to produce data and that's a large part of this, um, the actions going forward. It's produced a data set that really we take away the guesswork as best we can um, and that it also takes away the uh, subjectivity of people saying, you know, I want it this way, I want it that way. The industry will agree, which they do already, that we produce a track that looks like X. And if the data built around it meets it, you know, for example, moisture levels, the fact is for Trentham and I know this because of it, moisture levels need to be between 30 and 40%. Now, if, if, if anybody wants a variance to that, they can't have it. The reality is it's the job of the track person to deliver that track in that range as one measure, but there's a host of measures. So if we if we tighten up on the data set and the process, fundamentally, we should mitigate the risk. So you've, you're talking high performance, you're talking you know all this data and what it looks what it what it has looked like previously and to sort of crystal ball that now in the future what 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 does that look like to the, in the future so you know Ellerslie's a new home of racing things are things are all happening up here in Auckland you've got the the cracker sales and so forth and and around the country you have all these these other race courses that are running their meetings as well what what does it look like say in 10 20 years in Bruce Sherrick's eyes um, yeah, very good question. We're, we're deviating. We're deviating off the off the track issue. Uh, look, we're getting into where you're getting into there is is what we call the reshaping projects, and one of the large ones, and that is the venue rationalisation. And as a part of the Massar report, in fact, as part of the McCarthy report some 50 years ago, they talked about venue rationalisation. So to deliver, you know, we're a business that's probably going to be between 290 and 300 race meetings a year with the horse numbers we currently have. And so what we need to do is ensure that we've got the infrastructure in place to deliver the best product possible so that the wager gets confidence and bets as best as they can, and we benefit from that. So, it, you know, it's no secret that it will be a consolidated model, not hugely consolidated from where it is. Um, and if you look around the globe, there's places like Ireland who have a pretty successful racing environment. They have 26 venues. Uh, they run for stakes of over $100 million. Um, Not a bad model. They have $5 million in population. So, you know, it's, it, in saying all of that, we are New Zealand and we have to do what's best for New Zealand. And we have a, a large community aspect and I think that needs to be really researched well before we make any firm and hard decisions down that route. Hey, Bruce, you didn't actually think that Kempi wasn't going to deviate at some stage, Got did boxed you? in on the fence <laughs> he's, then. He, um, he's been salivating all morning waiting to get you on. I just <laughs> could see it. Can you just, just change tack a little bit and do appreciate your honesty always, Bruce, around this stuff, and it's good to have you on the show. Just tell it. Tell me a bit about Kempi. Just, cause t- just, oh, t- just tell me a bit about <laughs> Kempi and, and everybody out there because um, like he, he comes in here, he's full of confidence, full of beans, as you know. He's drinking his coffee. He always shouts the coffee, so he's a generous man. I know that. 
what, what are you going up with him? What are, what do you kind of if you had to explain to well, someone about my mate Tony Kent? He'd love this. There's, there's, there's two things here, I think, Louis. One is this is a, is a public hearing and it's a family show. So there's a few <laughs> things that you wouldn't say uh, on this show. You're on the school run the at Cordovasi. I'll endorse the generosity side. That's not a problem. But, uh, yeah, look, it's where to start. Um, yeah, we, we go a long way back, put it that way. We, he was walking down the hill one day to see a girlfriend and things all changed because he jumped on the back of my ute and he was 14 at the time. So things all, things all changed from that point, shall we say. <laughs> yeah, all right. That's a, that's a good Jeez, I wonder what would have happened if I kept on walking down to Carol's that day, mate. I think I know what would have happened. <laughs> um, Bruce, you you obviously involved with some ownership as well, along with Kempi and, and with um, Al Cinerama yeah. scratched out. What else have what's your, what do you have going around in in the next couple of weeks that we can keep an eye out for? Anything you got a you got a winner on the cards? No, not personally. Uh, the two racing at the moment are just asked me who have just put out Cinerama, who um, unfortunately I'll use uh, I'll use footy terms as, as pulled a glute or something similar. Mm. But uh, Alan's hopeful that she'll be uh, right to the Taranaki Cup in about two weeks, three weeks. So um, yeah, uh, it's a shame because uh, he felt she was uh, primed for Saturday. But it's racing, as we all know. Yeah, look, we've got a few young ones as well. So no, nothing in terms of a winner. I mean, Alan did say to me and. Um, you know, he said he thought Tabitak was probably one of his best, given uh, the fields that are lined up at Trenton on Saturday. So, yeah, have a little nibble on, on Tabitak. Gee, don't mind that. And and this is truly off the Tabitak. That's really good info. But this is well off the beaten path now. But you, you know a lot about other sports as well. You've had a career in um, footy management and that sort of thing. So you could, you know, you've got an eye for this stuff. James McDonald, uh, I noticed, didn't make the finalist as Sportsman mm. of the Year for the Halberg Awards. And mm. my theory here is I've went and had a look at the panellists and I'm not having a crack at the panellists, but not many of them have a, an understanding or a passion for racing, so it's just a lack of awareness. The Halberg Awards probably kind of get built up to be something that we probably care too much, to be honest. But do you think we kind of, as a sporting public, grasp what jockeys put themselves through as athletes, Bruce? No. No, we don't. And look, I'll be honest. That's that's uh, that's something I'm really keen to um, grow our sport with. We need to be in the conversation around mainstream sport. And as you know, Louis and and, and Kempi clearly knows, and people who are in it get to know about it. I mean, the jockeys are the Formula One drivers, as I put it. Uh, the trainers are the cross between the conditioner and the head coach of a footy team, and the horse is the absolute athlete. Um, and so when people start to understand that, especially the sporting people that uh, are friends of mine, and, and if they're a novice by way of racing, once you explain it in the manner that they understand the athleticism and the skill that goes into uh, achieving what, what horses, trainers, jockeys do, and breeders for that matter, um, yeah, they gravitate to it and they understand it. I think that story needs to be told in the mainstream, and it's certainly something that I'm pretty keen to have those conversations. You know, I've got some contact through Hobson with some Zealand sport, and I want to have those conversations on behalf of New Zealand Thoroughbred Racing to uh, to make sure that you know they do consider us a genuine sport. Because uh, I can assure you that pound for pound, um, someone like James McDonald is going to be equal to any footy player running around. Um, and the other thing that is uh, very interesting, um, you know, someone like James McDonald would earn more than any rugby player in New Zealand by some margin. Oh yeah, uh, that, that, that's so, that's that's awesome to hear, Bull. Because the 
I guess the jockeys, you're always hearing about the, the Richards and the Alices and the, you know, the go racing and all all the studs and the horses and stuff like that. And the jockeys get a mention in between things, but you're right, you know, if it wasn't for the jockeys, it wouldn't be racing. And I think that performance space is something that, you know, probably they they don't mind Dixon getting nominated for the, you know, racing cars for the, for the Hellbergs, but, you know, mm-hmm. James McDonald being ranked number one in the world should be top of the list this year on the Hellbergs and they've left them out. And and the sooner that it's that conversation is on the lips of high performance New Zealand, the, the better it's going to be for an industry that basically pays for sport New Zealand. It's just awareness. And Bruce, I'm sure Bruce will agree, racing, we've let ourselves down as far as promotion and awareness over the last couple of decades. There was probably a little bit of a gap or at least you know the last 10, 15 years and, and that's where we're trying to trying to get back here and that's something we're passionate about at SCNZ and I know Bruce is at NZTR as well so it's just awareness eh um, yeah it is it, look, it, look I think in a nutshell it's absolutely awareness and, and we're, we're responsible along with all of our stakeholders and I think that's part of what we've got to do is if we all if we all take a view every single one of us that complete the team of New Zealand Caribbean Racing it's all stakeholders all participants and we look to a high performance lens and we all want to be better every day the fact of the matter is that what people start to see is a high-performance sport and people performing well and very professionally. And that's where we've got to get ourselves to. Beautiful. Bruce Sherrick, um, he is New Zealand Thoroughbred Racing Chief Operating Officer and he is also a Philadelphia... No, <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> He's not. Um, great to have you on the show, mate. Appreciate your, your um, time this morning talking about the Trentham track and also just some wider racing topics. It's great to catch up. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the morning. We will do in. See you, mate.